Well, that was a lot of fun this morning, wasn't it? Good. Have you ever seen, like, any of the Pixar movies? Any of you? Ever seen the Pixar movie? And, and there's, like, this, um, <clears throat> there's this short, a Pixar short, where there's this, these two guys, and they're in the middle of, like, Italy or something, and they have, like, drums, a tuba, a violin. Have, has anybody ever seen that before? You've seen, some of you have? Some of you haven't? Anyway, they're dueling back and forth, and they have a lot of instruments. Um, that's how I view Brad. <laughs> no, it's not a monkey. No, it's like a, it's like a cool little back and forth, like, you know. It, and so, so if you lived at that time, my point is, if you lived at that time, I could see you doing that. I could see you having the drums on the side, the guitar, the violin, and, you know, the guy, the guy's doing the violin like this. You should look it up. I'll, I'll post it today to my Facebook page so y'all, everybody can see it. And just think of Brad. It's back and forth. It's awesome. So, yeah, that's good. Um, just a quick announcement before I dive into this. Um, we need seven more tour guides for Summer Spectacular. Um, if you're scared of being a tour guide, like you're scared of maybe it, it means that you have to teach, you don't have to teach to be a tour guide. What you do is you uh, meet the kids in the foyer, your group in the foyer, you bring them into this room, then you bring them into the back room or games, and then you swap it, and then uh, you come right back in here at the end and make sure that they go home with the right person. That's all you have to do. So it's, it's a very easy sort of thing to do. You do have responsibilities, but, um, but you just bring them in and, and show them around. So we need seven more of those. If you're someone that would like to volunteer for that, if you could fill out your uh, communication card and just drop it in that basket on the table on your way out, that would be great. Another thing that we need is uh, we need one more preschool teacher and we need four more preschool helpers. So if you'd like to help in that arena, um, just, just let us know about that, doing the same thing. Communication card, drop it in the basket on your way out. Summer Spectacular is absolutely going to be spectacular this year um, again. So looking forward to it. I've been working on some videos, and I know the lessons have been work, being worked on by some other people, so we're, we're really excited about everything that's happening. Um, have, you, have you ever been in the right place at the right time? No, you never have, Barry, never been in the right place at the right time? Yeah. How about when you got married? Was that the right place at the right, was that kind of, kind of iffy? Yeah, kind of iffy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we first married. Yeah, right place at the right time. We were um, in uh, Hollywood Studios in, uh, you know, Florida one time and on a vacation, this is um, a few years ago, and we were just walking down the street, and I happened to look up, and um, there was Toby Mack. He was, he was walking across, you know, the sidewalk there, and um, I said, Nicole, I think that's Toby Mack, and she said, yeah, that's, that's Toby Mack. So I just walked right up to him. I had met him before. I used to work in a um, Christian bookstore, so I had actually talked to him before. I felt really comfortable. So I walked up, and I tried to get my family to come up with me. They wouldn't do it. Nicole wouldn't do it. I don't know why she got shy all of a sudden, but she got really shy. And so I actually walked with him for a good five minutes and talked to him about why he was there and what he was doing, and we had a great conversation, and then he went on. So, but that was the right place at the right time. You know what I mean? Because it's not every day that you would actually run into someone like that. Um, I have been caught in traffic before, and in trying to get through traffic and just really kind of 
ir irritated about it. Anybody ever get kind of, am I the only one that gets kind of irritated about it? Uh, recently, I had to confess because um, on Friday, we were dropping my daughter's car off at, at, to get it fixed or actually inspected. And, um, and, I, and I pulled up, and this car in front of me was just going really slow. And I was like, oh, we're on Peters Creek Parkway. We're going 30 miles per hour. It's 45. I really want to get to this place. I can't move into the other lane because everybody else is getting into that lane. You know what I'm saying? And so this big SUV finally gets, well, let's just, let's just say that it made a spot for it in the other lane. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you big, yeah. So it pulls out, and there in the fast lane, in the fast lane, Nathan, the fast lane was a moped. 30 miles per hour, you know, what in the world is going on? And I thought to myself, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, for, for me anyway. So the right place at the right time. We all, if you've ever been in that position, are amazed when something happens. You're in the right place at the right time and, and something like that occurs and, or, or something special occurs. I have a brother-in-law that seems to everywhere he goes, um, Everywhere he goes, he seems to be very lucky, so to speak. Um, he, he would go, like I went with him one time to um, a Reds game. We didn't have tickets for it. And we were going to just buy tickets from those people that say, hey, I have three, you know, the expensive way to go see a game. So we were going to do that. And these people just walked up to us and gave us two tickets. Do you need tickets? Here's two tickets. And it was the best seats in the house in the Red Stadium. It was just unbelievable. It was just the right place at the right time. It's always nice when you, when you have that particular thing happen and, and you get something that that's really makes a story and a, a memory for you. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. Second Kings chapter 8. Verse 4 is where we're going to read first as we get into this. And this is, this is what that says. This is what it says. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 4. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. Now, Here's this guy, uh, Gehazi, and I, I don't know if you remember or not, or maybe you do remember, but you don't know what time frame we're in. Gehazi has leprosy. He has leprosy because back probably 10 years ago, from this point, about 10 years ago, he was with Elisha and this guy named Naaman from an opposing country, Syria, came to get his leprosy healed. And when he left... Gehazi followed him and asked him for articles of clothing and some money because of that miracle. He, he basically told him a lie and said that there's prophets that just showed up and we need two changes of clothes and, and some stuff to support them. So Naaman gave him that stuff and he brought it all the way back and hid it in his home. Well, Elisha knew about this. So Elisha confronted him about it and because of that sin, 
he said the uh, leprosy of Naaman is now going to be on you. So Gehazi, from this point, from that point and 10 years later, has this leprosy on his body, and now he is in a situation in verse 4 where he is talking to who? He's talking to the king. He is talking to the king. Now, this is probably, it's not in the king's palace because he couldn't have gone in there because of the law. This is probably at the gate of the city. The king oftentimes came down to the gate of the city to decide judicial stuff at the gate. And so he was probably down there, saw Gehazi, recognized him, and he began to talk to him about the great things that Elisha had done. The reason the king is so interested in that at this point is because in the previous chapter, a miracle has just happened. Uh, four lepers have gone and basically saved the whole city, and, and the city now has, has plenty of food, have plenty of wealth, and, and things are going really well. So he's wanting to know a little bit more about this guy named Elisha, who in that chapter, by the way, the king wanted to kill, if you remember that story from last week. So here's Hazai. He sinned here, he was judged by God, and he still has the leprosy at this point, and the king is talking to him about the great things that, um, that you know, Elisha has done. So, a couple of things about this. First of all, Gehazi knew he was wrong, and it wasn't Elisha's fault. This is important. If you read through Scripture, most of the kings blame the prophets for their sins, right? So, for instance, Elijah. The king and queen blamed Elijah for the famine that was a judgment of God because of the sins of the people. It wasn't Elijah's fault. Elijah was just the man of God saying it's going to, there's going to be a famine. It wasn't his fault, but they would blame the prophet. Gehazi knew he was wrong, and it wasn't Elisha's fault. I think this is key. This is sin ownership. If you do something wrong... It is not your mother's fault, your daddy's fault, your sister's fault, your brother's fault, your husband's fault, your wife's fault. It's nobody's fault but your own. You own it and you go forward. Is everybody tracking? That's the nature of sin. We live in a day where it's everybody's, it's everybody else's fault but mine. I was in a particular situation. This is what I did. This is what I didn't do. This is what I did. This is what I didn't do. This is why I did it. This is why I'm rationalizing that what I did was right. And we live in a day and age where that occurs even amongst believers. And I'm telling you today that God expects you, when you sin, to own it, ask forgiveness, and he covers it. And it's done. He doesn't expect you to say it was what's this person's fault, right? Or this person's fault. So Gehazi knew he was wrong. Second, he accepted the judgment of God. Nowhere in Scripture do you, do you hear of Gehazi complaining because God has given him leprosy. He accepted the punishment of God. Now, this brings up a very interesting question. Is all sin the same? Because here's a guy that all he did was take two articles of clothing some money, and hid it in his house. That's all he did. I can think of things that I've done in my life that might be a little worse than that. Oh, you can't? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. 
what made his sin different than my sin? What, what made, so, so is all sin the same? And I would have to answer that question, yes and no. Yes and no. Here is how all sin is the same. If you sin one time, you have sinned against a holy God and you deserve punishment for that sin. And that punishment is the lake of fire at the end of the day. That's what you deserve. One sin. Look, this whole thing started with, with a, a, um, a lady eating an apple. Maybe. An apple. Piece of fruit. She wasn't supposed to eat. She just took a bite of it. And then the man just took a bite of that, that fruit too. That's how it all began. All they did, ladies and gentlemen, was, was take a bite of fruit that they wasn't supposed to take a bite of. I mean, it would be on par in my mind with like, you know, you've, you've got the chocolate cake that's on right the bar right here. You're about to, you're about to you know, chow down on it. You're going to have the family over for the birthday. There's candles on it, right? And, and then your niece and nephew comes into the room and you tell them, do not touch the cake, right? And then you get to the cake and there's like little finger marks in it. You know what I mean? So they tasted the cake that you told them not to, not to taste. I mean, what do you do at that point? Do you, do you ask God to bring an angel down with a flame and fire and just throw them out of your house and say they can never come back in? Is everybody tracking with me? There was something about them doing that that was, that was incredibly wrong, and, and the level of punishment had to meet the level of the sin. So they got kicked out of the, kicked out of the garden, it started the whole human race in sin, and we are all sinful when we reflect on a holy God who created us to be something different. You, you tracking? So in that regard, any sin that you commit is equal. My sin will send me to the lake of fire. Your sin will send you to the lake of fire. In the same regard, the same sin that I have is forgiven on the cross of Calvary. All my sins are forgiven, just like all of your sins are forgiven on the, on the cross of Calvary in his blood. He covers every single sin. This is one reason of many why you do not lose your salvation. Once you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he covers that with his blood, and he has forgiven you of those sins. You are once saved, always saved. You will go to heaven. If I sin before Jesus comes back, when I walk out the door, which is very possible, right? It really... A lot, of, a lot of factors could happen as I walk out this door. But nonetheless, if I sin and I die in my sin, like I, I don't get a chance to say, I'm sorry, Lord, for my sin. I still go to heaven because his sacrifice takes care of my sin, past, present, and future. Even if I don't ask for it. So I am totally saved. That's one major reason why you do not lose your salvation. But all sin in that regard is the same. However... In this economy of sin, it seems that different sins are supposed to be met with different punishments. For instance, in Scripture, if you kill somebody, you are supposed to be killed. Now, if I ate too much in that economy, if I ate too much and I was a glutton, I don't, I don't get the death penalty. But if I kill somebody, I get the death penalty because there are levels of sin. There are levels in this economy of some sins are worse than other sins because of their effect on society, because of their effect on you, because honestly, I don't have all the, question, all the questions answered for why. God just says that this sin is worse than this sin, and I just go with it. 
there are some of them, I'm not really sure why they're, why they're that bad. Come on, I know you've thought this too, right? Because most of the people in this room have been what I like to call a teenager. Am I right? So you lived your teenage life thinking mom and dad says this is wrong, God says this is wrong, but these cool people over here are doing it and I'm going to do it because I do not see that big of a deal with what they are doing. Now, later in life you're going to see we saw what the big deal is about and we hopefully change in that, but nonetheless you know the difference. There's a difference between this group of sin and this group of sin and the effects on your life and, and all that kind of stuff. So yes, all sin is the same, but not all sin is the same. Let me read you a passage of scripture from Proverbs. It says this, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. First blush, those are things I want to stay away from because God hates them. Could we say that God hates all sin? Yes. But God really hates these, right? And, and so even he has a, this sin is worse than this sin, this, this sin I don't want to say better, but it's just worse. It's worse or worser, right? Right? It, it's, this is really worse, and this is really worser, and this is really the worstest, right? And the grammar's just as bad. The grammar's just as bad. So why does God judge some people and not other people? Why did God judge Gehazi, who served the Lord for years under Elisha, right? But, but he's not judging these other people. And my answer to that question is, I have no idea. I have no idea. But this is what I do know. There's a very good reason why God did what he did. And I'm good with that. The second thing I know is I need to be careful in the sins that I like to commit. Because at what time will God say, that's enough, do you know what I'm saying? And strike me with something that is a punishment or judgment. Sin is a very serious thing. And just because you did not get punished immediately when you did something does not mean that God isn't watching you and God isn't taking that sin seriously. If you think he's being kind of slack, you just need to remember Jesus and the cross. He put his son on the cross who was sinless for that sin that you just committed. He takes every sin very, very seriously. The reason that this is so important is because we, you and I, and there's nobody in this room that doesn't struggle with this at some level, you and I can become very self-righteous. Right? And sin, no sin being good, helps us not be self-righteous when we are helping someone else with their difficulties. Is everybody tracking? Just shake your head. Yeah. 
So, yeah, it's good to remember that it's all that sin is all the same when you are feeling um, superior to someone else. It is good to remember that all sin is bad. But if you're really just trying to help somebody and you're not feeling superior for that person, it's good to remember that there are different consequences for different sins, and you can help that person with the consequences that they're trying to struggle with at that point. So, so all sin is the same, but all sin is not the same. The last thing before we move on to the next point about Gehazi is that it is not my responsibility or yours to do death and punishment in that regard. It's not my responsibility. There, there are some, some things that happen that God's going to take care of that, and you just take care of it. Now, within my home, my two kids, if they do something wrong, it's within my arena in my home to deal punishment and death. <laughs> they can still be replaced. <laughs> okay? They can still be replaced. So in that arena, it is my responsibility to judge and to punish according to the sins that they commit, right? Come on, right? But there are some times that you just have to say, this isn't mine. This isn't mine to control the punishment for that person. This is not in my arena. God has it, and God's going to take care of it. So here's the next thing about Gehazi. No, there's another thing, right? Was there one right before there? There is, there is a, third, a third point. You can just stay right there. Yeah. Gehazi served God those his, though his condition limited him. This is very important. It's very important. I want to read verse 4 again. Now remember that he has leprosy because of a sin and it's a punishment of God. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. He still referred to that so that you know who he is. Saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. Gehazi was still living for God even though he had the punishment of God on him. Even though that punishment limited him from doing certain things. Is everybody tracking? Even though it limited him from doing certain things, he still was serving God at 100%. He was still going at it. He owned the fact that he did something wrong. He knew that it changed the course of his life. He was good with all that, but he wasn't going to stop serving God. Sometimes people do something wrong, and one or two things happen. One, they do something wrong here, and then believers never give them an opportunity to do anything in the church ever again. That is the wrong way to do it. Another thing that happens is a person does something wrong, and they feel like they can never do anything in the church again. I'm here to tell you, you can. There is grace. There is mercy. There is, there is a God that loves you. There's a God that wants you to serve. And whereas some of our sins have consequences that we have to deal with, are you tracking with me? And we have to deal with them, and that might limit us for the rest of our lives. That does not mean that you still can't share the gospel. You still can't serve God. You, you can still do things for God and make your life count. At the end of the day, it is not me 
that makes my life count. It is God who makes my life count. And no matter where you are, no matter what you have done, God wants to make your life count for his honor and his glory and for the purposes of his kingdom and people being saved. Do not miss that. You are valuable. I am valuable. Gehazi was still valuable in God's economy. That is amazing. That is an amazing, amazing truth. Amazing. So, let's get to the rest of it. Verse 1 says this. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. Now, back earlier in Elisha's life, he told a lady that she was going to have a son. She was well beyond her years of childbearing, but lo and behold, she had a son. That son passed away. Elisha went in, and there was a resurrection. He brought that son back to life, and this is the woman he is telling to go somewhere else. So arise and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So verse 2, so the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Now, I want you to just think about this a moment. She moved her entire family, her entire household, and went into enemy territory where there was food because she heard from God that she needed to do this. How many of you right now, if God said there's going to be a famine in Farmington and the closest place to get food was Washington, D.C., do what? <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was happening. I'm just, I'm just kind of having a little fun with people today. But the closest place that you, you could get food was in enemy territory, wherever that might be. And you had to go there. Would you pick up and by faith do what this lady did? It's an amazing thing. Verse 3, And at the end of seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with the Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, Behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is they, the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official I'm sorry. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. You talk about God's timing. That is absolutely amazing. It is better than any tickets I've ever gotten. It's like, not those tickets, but the tickets where you get into a, a baseball 
game. It's better than meeting some famous person in Disney World. It's just better than all that. This is God's timing in order to fulfill something for one of his children, in order to supply a need. I want to talk about this a few minutes. First, she moved. Was is not supposed to be in there. That is my fault, not anybody else's. Was is not supposed to be. She moved. You see, this woman heard that there was a famine and she moved. I'm not talking location. I'm talking she did something. She didn't just stay still. One, one verse, and we take, uh, Christians take a lot of verses out of context, but one verse that we often take out of context is wait upon the Lord. And the way that we take it out of context is that we, we kind of just sit and wait on God. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? And we just sit and we wait on God. <laughs> He's going to get me out of this sometime. And we do nothing at all. Here is a lady that moved. She moved. And I want to submit to you again today that waiting on God is not something that you just stay still for. You move while you're waiting. You do what you can during that day while you're waiting. You're still waiting on the Lord, but you're still trying to yourself make progress toward a goal to get out of your particular predicament. This woman moved. Waiting is active, not passive. Waiting on God is an active thing. Second, she followed God, though it was difficult to do. She followed God, though it was difficult to do. How many times have we stopped following God because it got difficult to follow him? How many times have we stepped back from a witnessing opportunity because that witnessing opportunity was going to be very difficult? How many times have we quit serving God somewhere, whether it's at work or whatever we're doing, serving God because it got difficult to do so, so we stepped back because it was difficult to do? Ladies and gentlemen, faith is not passive either. Faith is active. Faith means action. Faith means that you do the difficult things as well as the easy things for God. You continue to stay faithful to God regardless of what it costs you to follow him. You stay faithful to him. This woman moved her entire family. I want to let you in on something that you might not know from the text. Her husband is dead. So this is a widow with a son and all of the household, and she is moving them to a place where she can provide for them with food and things of that nature. This is a woman in a day where men took advantage of women. I'm not saying that they don't today, but I'm saying this is, she's traveling without protection. She's going into enemy territory without protection. She's living among the Philistines without protection. We talk about racism, which I just can't get on that today, but we talk about this racism thing all the time. In that day, she was going to the Philistines. She was making camp with ISIS. Are, are you tracking? With the people that hated the Jews. That's where she was going. It was very difficult for her to do, but she stepped out in faith, and she did it any 
way. So, that leads us to this one. She operated by faith. James says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith without living is dead. Faith cannot exist when you are into control. Faith cannot exist when you are into control. I have found in life that the more I try to control, the more I don't have control over the stuff that I thought I had control over. Power tools often remind me of this fact. For some reason, as simple as one of those circular saws is, and you're just, you know, you just put the, and you just go like, for some reason, it gets the best of me every time. It hangs up, I'm not going to tell you. It's a constant reminder that I'm not always in control. There's other things that are a constant reminder that I'm always in control, though I want to be. Faith is not the ability to be in control of all things. Faith, faith instead, is placing your trust in someone who is in control of all things, and that's God. He is in control. And if I mess up here, he's going to control that. If I do the right thing here, he's going to control that. God's providence and God's sovereignty supersedes any choice that I make. In fact, God is so big that I can make any choice I want to. I can make any choice I want to, and it's my choice. And he will still accomplish his will. I wish I had that in marriage. You know what I mean? Like, like you want to do something, right? And, and your wife, she's in the other room, so I'm talking quietly. She wants to do something else, right? And, and you're having that little thing. And um, I wish that I could just say, well, you just, you just do what you want to do, and I'm going to accomplish my purpose anyway. Just a marriage advice to new people, that doesn't work. Just doesn't work. I'm not that powerful. Do you know what I'm saying? Just not that powerful. God is up in heaven, and if you decide to do something right now that he doesn't want you to do, he is still going to accomplish his will and his purpose. In fact, before the foundations of the world began, God the Father looked down through time, knew your choices, and chose accordingly. So he looked down through time and saw that you were going to wear an orange shirt. You always wear it. Just sit here, so I like to use you. You're going to wear an orange shirt, and he totally planned stuff around that choice so that his will would be accomplished. He allows you to have freedom of choice. He has freedom of choice, but at the end of the day, he's the one that's going to win. He's the one that's going to win. So it's amazing. She operated by faith. Faith does not exist when I'm in control. Faith exists when I give him control. That's when faith really happens. Um, faith cannot exist if you do not control the things you can control. I, I know that sounds like I just contradicted myself. There are some things that I can control. I can control the words that come out of my mouth. Now, sometimes, and you've heard me, I... I would like to have a little more control over those words that come out of my mouth, right? Sometimes I don't say the right word or I don't read the right word and I would like to do something different 
So even in that, I really don't have control, but I'm trying to control it. But nonetheless, I can control the words that come out of my mouth. For instance, when I get angry, I don't have to use negative words. My feelings say I have to use negative words, right? Like that feeling inside of you, that churning inside of me. But I don't have to do that. I can choose not to use those words. I can choose to be quiet, right? I can choose not to be stupid with my words. It's called being silent. Look, that's scriptural. That's scriptural. The proverb says, if you're silent, people will think you're wise. I think it's a great manipulative um, sort of thing to do. You're just kind of quiet around people, and they think, wow, he's, he's really a thinker. No, I'm not. I'm thinking a bunch of stuff, but it's not deep. Yeah. So you, you, you control the things that you can control. Here's why I say that that's, that's a faith thing. God has given me gifts and abilities, and he's given you gifts and abilities, and he expects you to use those. And you can control using those or not. You can make that choice. And you need to make the choice to use the gifts and abilities that God has used, given you for his honor and his glory. Faith is using your wheelhouse. This lady, she moved her family because she could. She moved back because she could. She did all this because she could. So this leads us to this. God timed her return. Have you ever had a situation where, where you showed up? I've, I've had this many times happen to me, where I have contemplated what I needed to say to that person. Like, it, I needed to say something to them, and I contemplated exactly what to say. I crafted the message, right? And I was ready, I was ready to just come up and just, just come up to that person and just say, you know, this, 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 and 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 I need this, and this, and this. And, and I was ready to go. I was ready to go with all those words in my mind, right? And I get to that situation, and I'm really thinking about it. I know I have to approach that person for some particular deal. And I come up to that person, and I say, hi, Roger, how are you? And Roger says, hello. And then Roger says, I've been thinking, blah, 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 blah. And it's exactly what I think he should be doing anyway. Have you ever had that happen? This was the right time, the right moment. God has already taken care of it at this regard, and then this is what I do. I think that's a great idea. I don't tell him that I was thinking about that all the way here and what to say. I don't go into what I wanted to tell him after he's already at that place of doing what I was going to ask him to do in the first place. Have you ever had that happen before? Like, um... You're in a situation where you know this person has planned on what they were going to say and it's already worked out, but because they planned to say it, they needed to say it anyway, but they really didn't need to say it. And so when they said it, it really made it worse. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It really made it worse. And you're sitting there going, shh, shh. I think they drank something before they came out here. Don't worry about them. You know, you, you just kind of do it, shh, just shh. Yeah, it is crazy sometimes how God times out things for you and for me. I believe, though it's your choice to be here today, that God also chose for you to be here today. 
that on the way here, you did not have an accident to get into this room. I think you're here because God is agreeing with your choice to be here. I think that this moment right now is a time where God wants to speak to people in the room. I've always believed that. If I'm in the audience somewhere, I always believe this is a moment that God has me placed right here and right now. I've shown up at the hospital before, didn't know somebody was in the hospital, was passing by the room, saw them in there, and went, hey, I didn't know you were in here, and was able to pray with them. Do you know why they didn't call me? Because I don't know if you've ever been in a hospital, but sometimes calling people is the last thing on your mind. Right? It just happens. But God's timing knew exactly when I needed to show up, even though I was going to go see someone else. This happens to people all the time. You just have to have your eyes open to see it. Has anybody ever given you some some money before, like for your birthday or something, or maybe they just handed you a 20, or maybe you found 20 on the, on the ground? Nobody's ever had found $20 on the ground? Yeah, I know you have. Oh, you found 100? Oh, that's mine. I, <laughs> I, um, I've been looking for that. Yeah. Wait, is it green with like a 100? Yeah, that's, that would be it. Do what? Oh, he just takes it. I have found walking into Food Lion one time, $20. This is about six months ago. I found $20, and I thought, wow, this is great. Nobody's around. I just take it. I don't don't take the time to go to the counter and say, somebody probably lost this. I just just take it. So, um... If it's here at the church, I'm not going to do that. But if it's at Food Line in the parking lot, I'm just not going to waste time. So uh, I had the $20, and, and I was in line, and there was this lady that did not have enough money to buy her formula for her kids. And I have $20. So I just give her the $20. She takes care of her formula. Then she goes back with the change, and I don't know how this works. She goes back to the change and buys the diaper she needed. And we're done. Ladies and gentlemen, that is God's timing. Have you ever considered that maybe the $20 that's on there that was dropped by someone else wasn't necessarily for you, but God had a plan for it to bless someone else? That maybe you're not the one that really needs it, but somebody that you're going to come in contact with does? Have you ever been in a restaurant where you just know that the two people over there just, you just know, like you know that they, they're here, but they, they don't really have the money for that meal, maybe. Or, or you just kind of feel like you should pay for their meal. Have you ever had that moment? When you respond to that moment, you may never know the story of how that blessed that person, but you were timed by God to be in that position with that on their heart to pay for their meal at that moment. Are you, are you tracking? I've, I've had... My meal paid for me before, and um, Nicole and I were like, well, we, it's not like, I don't know why God did that, because we, we could have paid for this, and then we get into the car, and it doesn't start because the battery is, so where do you think that money went? It went to the battery. It is crazy how God takes care of his children, and he is always on time. He is always on time. He's always on time. He's always on time if you're following him. He's always on time if you're not following him. 
He's always on time if you're kind of lackadaisical in following him. He is always on time. The trick is that you need to be watching for it. You have your eyes open for it. And a lot of the things that we worry about in this life that keeps us up at night, that we're worried if we're going to be able to make this, that, and the other, we leave it into his hands and we say, Lord, I'm going to do what I need to do tomorrow to solve this issue. I'm leaving it into your hands, and I know in your timing, everything will come together. Everything will come together. I'm going to close, I'm going to close with this. Um, I, I used to work at Center Grove, and I was on staff there, and I'd started looking for a senior pastorate. And so um, I had gone, I had put up my resume for probably a year and a half, and after a year and a half, Paul would know this, after a year and a half of putting out your resume, and maybe Thomas too, you, you kind of feel like a loser. Do you know what I mean? Because you've talked to so many people in their churches and it just didn't work out. Some of you have had to go through something like this when you're looking for a job. You interview and you just feel like a loser. You just feel like you're just not, not worth it. So, so um, when, when I got couple of interviews with this church. I was also interviewing with two other churches. And so what I decided to do was just come out here and uh, pray in the parking lot and just say, Lord, if, if this is the church, this is great. And just let me know in, in some sort of way. You, you tracking? Tracking with me? So you, there's three, three people I'm talking to at the same time because it's kind of like American Idol. And um, I'm trying to figure out exactly where God wants me to go. Um, I had a conversation with Robin the moment that I was praying. She, she came out because she doesn't really like people to sit in the parking lot. And uh, she, she came out, and, and she recognized who I was. We, we talked a minute, and she offered for me to come inside to pray. And I said, well, no, I won't do that. But at that moment, at that moment, I knew that this is the church that God would have me at because of that conversation, because I was invited in to pray. Look, I had sat at other churches, and it was a ghost town, and here it was. I believe that Robin was in her office at the right time. I came to the parking lot at the right time. We had that conversation.